0: Welcome back to, to
1: Natch and Abdi Podcast. Podcast. So it's been a week since we last uploaded. Can you believe that?
0: Yeah, it has. You know what, time is flying by and uh, next week is already Ramadan, Inshallah, We hope um, that we all reach the month of Ramadan, Inshallah, you know, with, with, with full health.
1: With full health, Inshallah. We know that this year has been a tough year and a lot of people have not made it. A lot of people have lost loved ones. So inshallah we'll be making du'a, you know, fasting How do you think you'll be with
0: fasting this year? You know what, last Ramadan was really good Um, It was the start of uh, lockdown So, um, you know, not not having to go to work was actually, you know, for once was was good So um, I'm looking forward to it inshallah, you know, just doing my prayers, you know, du'a all of that Inshallah we'll reach there Right,
1: right So, so
0: what do we have today? What what are we doing today?
1: Today we've got a topic that is quite uh, insightful mm-hmm. and inspiring, and brutal and very real and raw that happens in every day in the lots of societies. So yeah. you know we're talking about forced marriage and violence. You know me, I'm quite passionate about when it comes to violence against women, and so. Obviously, can you you believe if I tell you that there were an estimated 15.4 million people in forced marriages and that 88% of the victims were women and girls and that 37% of of those victims were under 18 at the time of the marriage and of those, that 44% were under 15 at that time of the marriage It's shocking, shocking statistics
0: Absolutely um, UNICEF actually estimates that forty-five point three percent of girls in Somalia are married before turning eighteen years old. Now, forced marriages are not uncommon, and young girls are often given away as brides. and And young girls are often given away as bri- brides without their consent.
1: Yes, and with that information in mind, we have conducted an interview with an inspirational young woman who went through a terrible ordeal, but survived to tell the tale.
0: Just a warning, this interview contains sensitive information, including rape, sexual assault, and abuse. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to introduce yourself to our audience, Shamsa? Because we really find your story inspiring.
2: Yes, I would. Thank you so much. My name is Shamsa. Uh, I am 28 years old currently. Um, and my story is based in Somalia, but it really started in the UK. Um,
1: yeah, so let's let's do it. So, okay, thank you so much for that. So, I am aware of you, but just for our listeners, tell us the tell us from the beginning the events that transpired in your life. Of course, that's fine. Um, my
2: story started in the UK. Um, I was 17 turning 18 um, and I had me and my mom had you know a bit of uh, quite a few disagreements uh, because I was a teenager of course and you know I was not always uh, up to no good but there was quite a lot of misunderstanding. So my mother being the lovely woman she is uh, she offered uh, for me to go to Sweden but then after thinking about it, I thought, hold on, why not Somalia? Because in my mind, I was thinking uh, kids that don't agree with their parents or they have a disagreement, uh, they go to Somalia for what's known as uh, So I thought maybe that would be beneficial for me and maybe that would help our, the strain on me and my mother's relationship. So... I told her that Somalia is where I wanted to go so I can explore my country. And, and like, you know, I was old enough before uh, when I lived in Somalia, I was really young. So now that I was a lot older, I wanted to really explore Somalia. So after, you know, quite a lot of convincing, my mom allowed me, because uh, obviously she had a fear of Al-Shabaab who were uh, like had most control in the country at the time. Uh, this was two thousand and ten uh, after two thousand and eleven so we boarded uh, a flight to Dubai we stayed two weeks there and we landed in Somalia uh, uh, What was it? and we stayed my mom stayed with me for four days until uh, she went back and I went on my journey to uh, get to know what you know Somalia and we went from Jigar to um, at two very The distance is just unbelievable. It's like traveling night and day. Um, and that was, again, it was an experience and I really enjoyed it. And from Beledwene, we got to Buluburte. And when I got to Buluburte, I quickly started to feel unsafe because um, Al-Shabaab was there. And when, before I left, I was thinking, Al-Shabaab, you know, I see it on the news, it goes on the BBC. So I was thinking, this is not my people. You know, keig, is dilan, is damayno, you know I'm a- that was what, what was in my head, how I picked Somalia. So um, I heard Marke, my auntie, say that there's something called Tashir, and that's basically punishing, as is punishing someone of a crime, but publicly in front of a lot of people, and they call it Tashir. So I thought, you know, I need to go and see this for myself. And wallahi, I regret going till this day uh, because
1: I and now I have a completely different image. <laughs> <laughs> of my people yeah so if you could just tell me what was what did you think of Somalia before compared to when you got there like what was the one major difference that you would say the one major difference would have to be the people I
2: did not know that they they have a different way of thinking like this. is is quite different to someone that grew up in the UK so they have a completely okay. different mindset they they were a lot more open and mm. ruthless about any any in any situation like even if it was just a dispute it would be like the most yeah. you know and they always justify in, an injustice with you know like it's okay Amma. like it's so normalized things are so normalized like I think I have a like in your mind I have a normal like even if i didn't know i wasn't even i wasn't raised in that country like i said i came when i was seven so it felt to me everything that was happening in front of me was normal like how can you take like go from never seeing any type of violence to all of a sudden this is normalized in front of you
0: yeah absolutely i can sympathize with that because you know i was in somali around those times so i left um um towards the end of 2009 So yeah i can can completely understand where you're coming from with that Um, and for someone who grew up in this country you know what yeah let's let's put the picture clearly here you as shamsa you are being given the choice to leave your the country that you grew up in your friends uh, everything that you know your family members your surroundings whatever that you're familiar with you're being given the option to either go to sweden who you don't know anyone apart from maybe family members and you have to start all over again or you have to go back to somalia now for someone so young that itself is a difficult choice obviously at the end of the day you had to choose between either going to sweden or somalia but what made you choose to go to somalia instead of somewhere like sweden
2: What made me choose it was I remember uh, my childhood when I was in Somalia and even though I went through FGM, I used to have so much fun with uh, my siblings and I just remember it being fun, you know, as a child, but obviously I'm not a child anymore. I didn't realize that I'm now a woman and they're going to view me differently and treat me differently, you know? So I just thought I was gonna have the same experience that I did when I was a child—just happy, loving family environment that just was full of culture and food and, you know, just greatness.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. Obviously, you thought it was gonna be the same experience that you had when you were a child. Now you're going back there. Obviously, they see you differently. Um, but let's just just to p- put the picture clearly here. Were you at any point made aware of? you know marriage or was that mentioned at all or did you know anything that that that's to do with marriage at all
2: no, 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 no. There was no talks of marriage at all. Even my mom, wallah, she was so hesitant for me to inaboha because and, you know, uh, the government and the government. So she didn't want it for me. Um, but I convinced her. I, I told her, you know, I just wanted to explore. I'll be with my family. I'll be fine. But I didn't at the time, and my mother at the time, didn't realize it wasn't the Al-Shabaab that was the problem. It was my family.
1: <laughs> if you can just explain that a bit further, when you say it's my family, can you just tell us what happened and yes. what made you scared?
2: Of course. Uh, uh, and like I said, I had no plans of getting married. That was not even in my head when I first came to Somalia. I was it was in the head of my mother, but... My uncle, whilst I was in Bulabuta, came to visit me, and I thought it was kind of strange. But I also was very excited because I thought, "How? Like, I'm so humbled to have my auntie drive two days just to come and get me." So it it was very, it was rushed. I'm not gonna lie; the trip was very rushed. And when we got back to Marco, where he lived. You know, the first three days is, it was absolutely fine. Like it was just like family welcome, you know, the massive welcome party. Yeah. And then after that, things just really started to like the fun died down and it was more serious. Like, I want you to get married. I want you to meet someone. I want me to meet this person, but he was only adamant of on one person, one person or on one person. That, that was the only, he had a mission. And the mission was for me to get married, uh, for him to steal all my the money that was going to be used for my wedding. And then everything else that happened in between, that was really none of his concern. And uh, was this your uncle? And this was my uncle, yes, my upti. Mm-hmm. And at first I was so like hesitant, I'm like, no, no, merevi, merevi, merrivi. And I even went as far as to suggest another man. Because when I found when I uh, found out that he was my cousin, and the way I found out was so weird because I was never told this man was coming. I was never told anything. They were just suggesting up to that point, right? And then uh, I was in the shower one day, and my cousin came and took me out like really quickly, like soba soba. So I ran out and you know, way you hilib and of So I'm thinking, okay, this is something I haven't seen for a while. But I didn't realize that they had a guest. And my uncle sat me down with this other man uh, there, young boy, shall I say. And he told me, he introduced me. He said, this is who I want you to get married to. This is the guy I was talking about. And I was like, why didn't you not tell me he was coming beforehand? But... He just he just continued to introduce the man, and uh, he said, "This is you know Hassan." And when he said first, the first shocking thing was the fact that he was my first cousin. The second shock came when he said, "The boy, the guy is fifteen years old. No, fifteen, sixteen. So he was two years younger than me, and I just turned eighteen, right?" So. Right. When I thought about I was so, like, I'm like, no, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. This is my cousin. So I went as far as to suggest someone else. And I said, I will even marry him. Too, well, I, like, I had to choose out of too bad. So I said, I'll even marry this man. right? And my uncle beat me, like, what a delay. And then he took my phone, he left, he walked out of the room. And the next day he just acted as if nothing happened and just continued like trying to manipulate my mom my dad like every single one that he would speak to he would just say yeah she wants to get married she made a decision uh, let's hurry this up you know let's he would put pressure on everyone
1: do you think that your uncle ma- masterminded a plan from when he first came it's a plan that he made
2: 110 percent because my auntie, whose son they married me off to she He lived, they lived in Belladuena uh, So when I was in Belladuena for two, three days They had every chance to come and visit me To get to know me To like physically see me But they waited until I went to Marca hmm. To even introduce themselves
1: Another time
0: he took your phone away from you So that you don't communicate with your parents back home
2: yeah, so I don't yes. communicate with anybody. And do you know what, Somali joke? Did you need to top up as well? Absolutely, you yeah. It's not just a contract where you just have like unlimited now, nah, you, you need to pay for it. And I had no money <laughs> to my name. Like it was the family members that also did it. Do you understand? Because I'm a young daughter, you know, but my wallet was the ones that were hurting me. Do you understand? Yes. <laughs> so they, I had no financial. Uh, he- like help at all right and when i realized my my what was going on was getting very serious um my uncle started threatening me and uh, one of the threats was um i'll put your pictures in all the checkpoints al-shabab checkpoints so it's far as the second threat was, I'll put you in prison for being a, a like back to your parents. So, mm-hmm. for being a and that's imprisonment with Al Shabab is three months imprisonment. So, I was so scared. I had to change who I was. Like Shamsaw, the fun, bubbly person that I was. I had to change that. And I was so outspoken as well. Again, I had to change that. And I had to conform to how they were. I had to talk how they did. I had to dress how they did. Just so that I'm not at risk of being hurt or being exposed to Al-Shabaab or being in prison. I had to behave, right? one day i decided to contact uh, my friends i went to internet cafe i contacted uh, some friends of mine from uh, high school i told them of my situation um and i told them i needed money so that i can escape and when i looked online i realized that there was a um a british embassy in hergesa so and I, I had a camera. Hoya camera okay. So I had that camera. I sold it. So I added the money that the girl sent me and my mom, uh, the camera, and I took it to a state, uh, like a travel agent, a travel agent and I told him I wanted to leave uh, where I was as discreetly and as quickly as possible, and I need to go to Hadgesa. Wallahi, it would cost me. He laughed at me and he said, "The you know, or. Uh, uh, so you can't go there because my dad said to do al gudilla. And I'm thinking, okay, so if I go to Mogadishu I'm like there's checkpoints everywhere of my picture, my face. I can't go to Hercules and even if someone was to sneak me out. And um, I can't, like, I'm trapped. Wallahi, the definition of being trapped.
1: I was like a man in a cage. So Wallahi, when you went, when you went to this person and the travel agent. Um, Did you ever at any point think that you'll be refused for tribal reasons or did you think this was your chance to escape? I was just thinking this is my chance to escape, but when he made it, when he
2: explained the dangers um, that were in Hergesa, like I was going to face, I got even more scared because I knew no one in Hergesa where Ska'e in just hot. Like, obviously he's the estate agent. He's the man who's going to book me the ticket. He's not going to do it after he gave me that information. So I kind of suspected that he might know the family. So I just left. And they just really started moving the wedding forward. And one day I get a call and he was actually talking to my mom, my uncle was talking to my mom. And he was like, Oh, what you're like, will ask her yourself. Like he just passed me the phone. So when I grabbed the phone, my mom asked me, Marath, like Hoy, is this what you want? But because he was sat right there, all I had can say is ha because I knew it once I turn the phone off or I, that I hang up, I'll get beaten again, you know? And I didn't want that, I didn't want anybody touching my, my body after that. And I said ha to my mom because I felt that. there was no way out. Hoya is not here. And I thought, why would she believe me over her um brother? You know?
1: Right.
0: Yeah, that's so, that's really sad, yeah. yeah. So you you were being held hostage basically.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: well I felt like the situation, I'm not even gonna lie. I couldn't go anywhere. So one day I was at my my mom's family, and I get a phone call from my dad, and he's like, Oh, bro, you know, I'm so happy for you. And I'm like, What? What do you mean? And look, Wallahi, up to this point, what was in my head was okay, because I can't escape. I thought, at least if the sheikh speaks to me. I can say I don't want him and then he can't force me because this is like they're practicing the sharia law, isn't it? This is my ignorant mind, by the way. And because I was really young, <laughs> I, d- I don't know. I didn't know how else to think. So I thought at least if the Sheikh spoke to me, I could say no and then they can't physically force me after the Sheikh like hearing me say no. And, but that never happened. So when I got the phone call from my dad, the next thing he said was, eh, what's you name? What's his name? What's his khabil, and yadale, like, like who's who are his family? So I said to Abo, Dad. So you don't know the name of the man that you just gave me up to? And he said, No, Ishaq, Like tell me. And I hung up. I hung up. I hung up the phone. And I think that was another shock to be given away so easily, as if I am of no value. I think that hit me so hard. Because I thought it could have been al shabab soldier. Could you imagine? And I hear women being slaughtered for a lot less than just being married to al shabab soldier. I think would you that. It's kind of other people. So I, it, was, well, it was a very terrifying, terrifying <laughs> thought. But I thought, okay, what's, what am I going to do now? But I couldn't do anything. I was rushed into makeup and dressing and, and my hair being done. I was put in the back of a car uh you know uh they take you around town in the car like literally i think 20 30 minutes around the whole entire town and eventually they and that whole entire time wallah is like an uh, uh i'm living out of my body like i am it's not my reality almost like i was ref- it wasn't going into my mind that this was happening it's almost uh, like a genius, it's, like you're in a I was in a daze, I was in such a daze um, and I was so confused as well as to how I can be engaged or married
1: without right. my permission and I just want to say, you know, you said be honest with you, I don't think you're ignorant at all I think you just believe that a country that's claiming to be a Muslim country with people that are claiming to be Muslims you honestly from your heart believe that they would do things the right way, and that there's no way somebody's going to get married off without the person consenting to. But yeah, of 100%, course, it was unfortunate these yeah. people just took advantage, right?
2: So they, oh, before they, before I got married, before they married me off, I had a, um, a I was checked to see if I was a virgin. Because right. there was this yeah. talks of me being a yasso, as every almost every child in Europe is called a Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just a term they use. But um, apparently that was enough for me to be checked. So I was taken to a woman that performs FGMs, um, uh, Guditan, right. Alegey, and she checked me, and she they basically offered to i started uh, tearing from the fgm because i had it done when i was young because i started right. tearing at a young age uh, because of due to my period and um, it basically it opened up a little bit so she basically one of the woman who was doing the fgm suggested that i get it re uh, and reclosed, just so that um, my husband can oh. you know And I said, no, thank you. As long as you can confirm that I'm a virgin, I am okay. Thank you very much. So when it got to the wedding day, I was put in a room uh, in my grandma's house, in my uncle's home. I was put in a room by myself, by the way. No one told me anything. I have never had any sexual experiences, like I said, because I was a virgin. And this man comes into the room without a hi or a hello or are you okay, set to hi, nothing. Well, so galay, he dropped his ma'awis. And the ma'awis, for those that don't know, is a, a, a light material that men wrap around their waist uh, and just wear like kind of like a skirt, but it's not really a skirt. Anyway, he dropped it. And for a person who's never seen... Any type of geni- uh, genitalia in my life, I was in shock. I can imagine. I was speechless, and I didn't know. Wallahi, because I'm a funny person, I did not know whether to laugh in that moment or cry because of the way he just came in so silently and just dropped it. Like, well, wh- I, I've never ever heard anything like that in my life. It's kind of Like I'm 28 now,
1: you know? Right. So, and like, high school abnormal people. behavior
2: yeah that's not normal behavior at all so i quickly had to again try to come up with a way to get out of it but when i realized i was trapped uh, because it's that uh, i couldn't leave that room at all uh, and if i did i would just be put back in by a member a family member so, I thought, okay, what can I do now? What do I do? What do I do? And for those that don't know
1: what tadaba what is, could you just explain what that seventh Yeah, it's a seven-day honeymoon
2: stage. So, you don't leave a particular room or a hotel for seven days. You, either you can only leave when you're doing wudu, which is uh, getting ready for prayer, or to shower or to toilet. That's it. Everything right. else, you live and breathe in that room. For seven days? For seven days, yes. And... Right whilst I was thinking my 18 year old brain came up with oh okay how do we do how do I distract him so because I had so many pins in my hair because they had this weird style but they put so many pins in my hair I said can you help me with these pins because they're hurting and I knew it was gonna take about I don't know I think it, it took about 20 minutes for him to physically remove one by one pin yeah and once he removed it, before whilst he was removing it, I was thinking again. I was trying to find ways to get out, ways to stop what's going to happen, like ways to try get out of it. And then I thought, Shamsa, you can choose uh, out of two evils. One is you willingly have sex with someone called with someone who is named your husband, or you can be forced. So he's going to force himself on you. So. I chose to do it myself and I tried by being a virgin and being a woman who's been, who's had the procedure FGM done previously, it became almost unbearable. So as much as I begged, I cried, it just, the more I begged and cried, I think it got worse. Uh, I'm not going to give you the gruesome details, but I was paralyzed, like I was frozen in one position because I I I can't fight. I don't know anyone back can can even attempt to fight um, a situation like that because just the pain puts you puts your whole entire body into shock. Um, out of the seven days, uh, I was raped continuously for four out of the seven, and after those four days, I um, experienced uh, some sort of trauma, uh, inner trauma. Right. internal trauma and it caused me not to stop urinating so I as much as I like even if I really wanted to go toilet I really couldn't I would lay down on the floor completely paralyzed in pain I had no medical treatment I had no medical help I had even when I begged and they would see me they would just be like you'll be fine women, we, we, all women go through this like it's it's normal so I kept the rape myself uh, because, and I told him not to touch me. Like I got so mad before I feel I felt like I was really lost and uh, scared. So I got some balls, okay, and I was I don't. I don't think I. I had the energy to have that happen to me again right? So I said to him, I need a break. Uh, I'm in a lot of pain. You can see me like you're a witness to my pain. So let's just leave me alone. So he left me for a few days. But when the seven days finished, my uncle decided to kick me out of my grandma's house. And I still had the money that I was going to use to escape. So I uh, collected that and I went to um, rent a house, a property, which I thought was going to be my house. But it turned out it was his house. Uh, I was just a guest, um, or a maid, or a slave, whatever. And he dealt with everything. And by this time, my uncle manipulated my mother so much, like he turned her against me. He said, "I don't want you don't you know She doesn't want to talk to you." He handed all the finances over to uh, the husband. Uh, They left nothing to me, just so that I don't I don't escape, right? And no one knew about what was happening to me. I didn't tell anyone. No one cared to ask. And anyway, one day I was in the house and he told me to clean. And because I was in so much pain because of the trauma he caused. And by the way, when, as soon as we moved into our new house, the rape continued. Right. And it continued until I escaped. Uh, let me just say that. And But on top of the rape, I was beaten. And the first time it happened, he wanted me to He wanted me to hand wash a, a bunch of his clothes, and I said I tried to explain that I was in so much pain that I, I don't, I can't do that right now. And he just grabbed me, pinned me to a wall, and started slapping me. And when he got off me, I went to complain to a family member, who said Ninka the will tell him to back off. We'll tell him he can't touch you again. And when I was, I was so adamant, I was so adamant that I am done. I don't want this. Like, this is not the life that I wanted for myself. But I was, my granddad turned around and said, oh, and you know, he's from the older generation. And I think he said it in like a jokey way, but I was so serious. And I said, Far because إجارة, so when something bad is happening to me. Like your curse is not going to affect me. If uh, you know something bad is being done to me, so yeah. my yeah. brother kind of uh, laughed it off, and he told my uncle to escort me back to the house, and I was returned to my abuser, and I was beaten multiple times. But the worst beatings were four, and I will never forget those four in my entire life. Uh, but the last one was the worst. Because I not only did I have witnesses, but
1: it's when everything really erupted for me. So before, before we get to the, before we get, go to the next part of the story, I just want to know. So far, you've mentioned physical, sexual, emotional abuse, abuse of financial, so, financial abuse, isolation, manipulation, traumatization. You mentioned all these things. So I just want to know your day to day. Like, what was going through your mind? What, what you, were you crying during the day, during the night? How were you interacting with the other people? How were people reacting to you? Is this normal over there? Like, did nobody ever think this was abnormal?
2: It is so normalized that you would wake up and just act wallahi as if like nothing really happened. You know that it affected you, but everyone okay. else around you acts so normal that you have no choice but to act normal. Do you understand? Right. Is normalised yeah. for you, you know. And then there's excuses behind it, and then there's religious excuses behind it. Like someone said to me, "Being raped in your, uh, sorry, being raped, a wife cannot be raped by her husband." And I said, "Why is that?" And they said that because we are a property of Allah, and uh, we are sorry, we are a property of a man,
1: just like well, he pays his money. Well, you know, that's very. Un- that's not valid at all. That's not
2: correct Yeah, of course it's Mm. invalid. It's completely invalid. But when you're telling a 60-year-old, a 15-year-old, even an 18-year-old, this, who doesn't even know much about the dean, they take it. They think, okay, that's another way of normalizing it again.
1: Of course, yeah.
2: So it was very normal. I interacted with people just like I'm interacting with you now. Just, Mm. Adi, I made it out like nothing was bothering me because I felt like that's what they wanted. They wanted to see some sort of reaction right and i didn't want to give so you were hiding I your didn't... pain ah oh, i was hiding everything i was mm-hmm. hiding everything but there was a day um, where i got so overwhelmed that i went and i bought um, a pack uh, of um, sports cigar <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, <What? laughs>
2: Wallah, I was so stressed that I didn't care. Wallah, I got to a point where I did not care if I got caught, if it's al I thought maybe they were better. Like I got to a point where I thought maybe these terrorists might treat me better. Like my family, maybe being wow. in jail is so bad.
1: Wow!
2: so it was very wow. tough. I had to deal with, I had to hold a lot back. A lot, a lot, a lot.
1: Mm, and I think it hurts more because it, if a stranger does something to you, they don't owe you anything. But when it's coming from your own family, you feel it the pain yeah. a lot. More. You feel the manipulation oh. a lot more. Yeah.
2: Mm, not only do you feel it, but also who else do you trust? Because everyone else there is your family. Right. So it was very difficult for me to trust people because I thought, okay, if I tell you something in confidence, you're going to take it back to my uncle. It's and a systematic thing. When the abuse started, when the hitting started, and he said, Oh, if you even if you complain to the family, uh, it's uh, you can't they can't do anything because it's them that are sending me. So he's basically implied that my uncle sent him to right. be if I didn't you know, listen to whatever he said.
0: Um, if I can just speak about that, Shamsa. Uh, I have to say I'm really moved by your story um, and, you know, listening to you telling your stories. Yeah, it, honestly, it's so painful. Right. I cannot imagine what you went through. But this is someone who's, you know, uh, the the guy that they married you of, literally like y- younger than you. Um, yeah, so he's yeah. 15, 16 years old. And he's got this mindset where he feels like he has to um, physically abuse you, mm. control you. Manipulating whatever he's doing, it's honestly it's, it's at such a young age, so terrifying. But, um, it's, it's also down to his insecurity as a man, he has to prove to himself and to others that he's a man, and that way, you know, the woman has to listen to him or has to do whatever, you know, she, he, he or she has to do whatever he's telling her. Um, have you seen like in terms of the other men that you've seen there on and, and their and their behaviors? Would you say that it was almost a learned behavior from the fathers and, and the grandfathers or the uncles, the way they were acting?
2: I think it was learned behavior because, it, you know, the, the young boys, when they grow up uh, around their uncles, their fathers, their brothers, like male, um, especially head male um, family members, they tend to look at the way they they act, the way they talk to women, the way they they analyze everything to see what is acceptable for them and what is not acceptable. Do you understand? It's a learning uh, experience. So if you're constantly in a space where you're demeaning women and saying, okay, I uh, had the witnessing that a woman could just be married without even her consent. That's that's a, that's a, a learning curve for him. That, that makes him think, okay, so we don't need her permission for us to get married. Right. And then <laughs> advising him make her like make her listen to you and by that is implying hit her, make her listen to you. So even if my uncle didn't physically say hit her, he still got the the picture. Some way his, his mind was shaped to think that way and it didn't start from just me when he met me it was, it was probably, uh, you know, something that he saw from a very young age.
1: Right. And I just want to add a point to what Ad was saying, that I feel like in that society, this uh, sexism and misogynistic behavior is deeply entrenched in the deep core societal and the family to the point that, like you said, it's completely normal. They do not mm-hmm. see this as anything wrong because it's like you said. When you're exposed to something constantly, the women themselves have also become immune to it, right? And they also um, they also continue this pattern of behavior as well. They also enforce it as well because they don't know any other way, and they feel trapped. If they were given some sort of information or even um, uh, knowledge that there is another life there is another way they would take it within within a second but they do not they cannot escape that reality so what can they no, do No, but
2: for women as what? well they have this um uh, something held over them which is shame right, right. so even if a woman was to stand up for what she believed in it's still ab. how dare you how i'll have the shit over your dad Ab, how i'll have the shit over your mom like anakana, we know better. No, oh. you, you know better for yourself. Hmm. You have to allow your children to choose who they marry, who they choose to be with, who they choose to uh, hang around with. Because Allah gave us all free will. Like in Somalia, I don't think there's anything called free will. Without the permission of your dad, your brother, uh, your father, Subhanallah, it, it's, a, it's a very scary thought to be always monitored.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. So you were saying that you got um, earlier, you were saying that you got a call from your mom. I think this is when everything, the story, went you know, everything changed. So if you could just tell us a bit more about that. Yes, yes. Um,
2: I was woken up really, really, really early. And this was the day that I was on my period. And he really liked to pick days where I was unable to physically, um defend myself or stand up for myself so uh, where w- uh, i was on uh, it was a time of the month for me and i was in agony i was in so much pain he woke me up i think five six o'clock in the morning and the, uh, the market was very far from where we lived um, and he woke me up and he said you know come on uh, it's cooking time you need to cook uh, shah and uh Qura'i you need to cook breakfast for me so I said, uh, okay, I don't mind cooking breakfast for you, but please, Dukanka uh, ad go to the market and uh, get me the ingredients that we need. Um, and he said, no, he refused. He said, you get up, you go get it. And I really didn't want uh, to be beaten. Uh, so I said, you know what? Okay, I walked 10 minutes in the heat. It is so hot. Yeah, I dragged myself to the market, came back, and right. I forgot Magi, uh Stock Cube. Right. And when I came back, my cousins were already there because we had made plans for them to come eat with us that morning. And I said to my cousin, you know, Shah sara and um the Shakshoka. <laughs> <and laughs> <and laughs> Shakshoka is a Somali dish. Um, I'll put that on, uh, you know, the stove and you just get me the stock cube and I'll add it in afterwards. So when I made the shakshoka and the shah, I thought, whilst my cousin is gone, let me take a little nap. You know, because I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't really sit properly. So when I went back into my bedroom and I lay down, I drifted into sleep for a little bit. And I woke up to my so-called husband, uh, on, like physically on top of me. But he's beating me like. Well, I don't think I realized that I actually was woken up by a punch, um, because I was in shock. Like I, I think the shock just kind of gets rid of the pain. Is really weird. But I didn't know that I was woken up, uh, woken up by with a punch. So he just continued punching and slapping all the way down to my body until he eventually got off me and ran out the door. And when I came out. I realized he hid absolutely everything from knives to uh, kitchen rolls to what well, anything did see uh, anything that or, or, like I could use to hit him. He hid everything. So I came back into the room. I barricaded myself, the bed, everything. Do you know, <laughs> Somalian beds and cupboards are very big. So I don't know how I moved them, but I moved everything to the door and I had to move every, everything back big obviously let out i used the neighbor's phone to call my mother and the only thing i said to her is is this what you want for me and my mom was so confused and she's like "Is did you like what's going on and i'm like maya is this what you want for me this man to beat me up i didn't tell my mom about my rape i wanted to tell her face to face which i never got the chance to but I only told her about um, the beating because Voya has uh, or had underlying medical uh, conditions. So I didn't want to hold her any stress and then she, al- she was already on. So I, I decided to keep that to myself until I looked at her in the eye and told her this myself. So anyway, she got so mad just over the fact that this man touched me, like, like beat me physically. She tried to go speak to the family members and no one was making any sense. Everyone was putting the blame on me. So when she realized that I was really unsafe, she called me and she said, uh, "We need to find a, we need to figure out a plan to help you uh, escape." And I thought, well, I was so happy that I had one person on my side that knew what was going on. And she said, "You know, we well, because I told her I was really ill, but I didn't tell her why I was ill. I told uh, as you, as said, because you're really ill, um, we can use that as an excuse, you know. We'll say, we're going to go, you just say, you know, uh, you have to make everything seem like it's okay. And I suspected Ninka or everything okay. I connected, make him seem like like he has no, like, make sure he has no suspicion of you going anywhere. Like he's going to be suspicious. Like, make sure he's he's not suspicious. Like, sweeten him out, Right. So that's exactly what I did, and she's my mom. Also told told me to contact a friend at the hospital and just tell her eh, I'm gonna pretend to come to you this morning. And had they caught him, and just say had they attacked it, you know, she just left me just so that I get her, there's no suspicion, and they can't send people after me. So I said okay to my mom. I sweetened everything up. I told him, listen, I really need to see a doctor. Me and you, you know, we we need to try sort things out, and we need to start with this. I need to get medical help. I didn't go and get medical help. I got on a bus wearing a full hijab from head to toe, a niqab, gloves, um, and car for the. And I was sat on the bus, shaking from head to toe, thinking, this is it. I'm going to get caught. I'm going to die. I'm going to be put in prison. Like, I had all these thoughts uh, running through my brain. And not the uncle that abused me, but my his brother, my other uncle, walked right past my window. And wallahi, okay, be a little, just a tiny bit. Okay. and I thought because I thought that's it I thought if he just looks my way he will recognize my eyes like I'm dead and I started praying in that moment I was like please God get me, get me out of here And as soon as I started praying, Alhamdulillah, the bus moved. And from checkpoint to checkpoint to checkpoint, there was no one asking for papers. There was no, but I had to, again, I had to change who I was. I could not speak to anyone on the bus because I thought, oh my God, like, imagine if they get suspicious and think, oh, she's talking weird. You know, I didn't want to get any, any type of suspicion on me. So I just stayed mute. Like, unless I was spoken to, I did not speak. And eventually we got to Mogadishu and we passed all the um, Al-Shabaab checkpoints and we got to the Dolat and I could breathe and I was, alhamdulillah, I was reunited with my auntie uh, Shamsa, who's the same name as me and my other auntie. And when I got to their house in uh, Mogadishu, we got a phone call, I got a phone call. And when I I didn't pick up, but my auntie Shamsa picked up, and she's like, uh, you know, it was my ex husband on the line. So he said, "Oh, um, who's this?" And my auntie replied, "This is Shamsa." Obviously, he assumed it was me. So he started going completely off. Oh, I'm gonna put you in jail. I'm gonna ruin your life. I'm gonna make sure you like you don't leave like, this country. Like and you know, you don't go nowhere." And my auntie was like, "You're talking to the wrong one." You're talking to the wrong Shamsa. She's like, I'm her uh, auntie. You, you have no right to speak to her like this. And she said, now that you, you're on the other side, right? You're in uh, Shabab territory. She said, come to where I am. I dare you, and you will not be. Uh, you would not have treated uh, my niece the way you did when you were in Markov so like your auntie sounds like a wonderful woman i wish i could be absolutely amazing (laughs) the way they stood up for me i was so proud
0: so you finally have someone with you on your side um your auntie so who's actually a witness who has finally heard what this man
2: is like she heard what the way he was talking but she did not know what he did to me Mm. Am I making sense? Yeah. All she knew yeah. was yeah. that I was being beaten because rape, yeah. because rape was so normalized. Yeah, like, you cannot be out here saying in Somalia ge 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 ge. You can't. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Like what the hell? Right. Do you understand? Yeah. What can I say to that? Right. So I, just, so I just I just decided for myself that I need to keep the rape out of any Somali conversation, anyone that I had a conversation with, it was just the beating. And right. then I told, if I told my mom, then she can tell everyone and then they'll believe her, you know? Yeah. At least then I would have someone to believe me, but I wasn't comfortable telling anyone in Somalia because, again, I was scared.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Of being yeah. silenced even more, being told, no, it's okay. I couldn't deal with being told that it was okay in Islam. I will, like, I physically I couldn't deal with it.
1: Yeah, because it's not like you're telling someone something traumatic happened to you and they're making you feel better, but rather it's like you're going through the whole trauma again because they're telling you that it's okay and what you're even talking about. And that is deeply disturbing, deeply disturbing, Mm -hmm. because they make you feel like it's your fate, like it was written for you, and it's not if they say it comes from God, which it absolutely does not it does not i
2: absolutely disagree with that well i but this is the norm it's okay it's like even when i was in somalia i had so many stories which kind of similar to mine but even younger girls 14 years old who just wants to get out of the house because you know do this, do that, you know wash the boys clothes go get up and make the boys some food Is always life is centered around the boys the men So so the the women tend to get married because they want to escape that thinking that they're going to have freedom, that they're Mm going to have their own house, but then they're confronted with being locked in a house with a man that wants sexual relations right now, and they Mm -hmm. have no education, They, they are not told, they're not prepared. So wow. what I often used to hear is they used to touch the four walls hmm. and it broke my heart because I thought, no. okay, 18, how dare you complain? Wallahi, I thought, how dare you complain when a child younger than you is is, is still being subjected to it? It's still married to that man. Wow. are they going to get <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. it's it's a very um it's 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 very difficult story, yeah very, very, very difficult story very to miserable. tell to be honest right um, I think every time I tell it I shake I don't mean to but
1: <laughs> of course because it's like you know it's your trauma it's your story and you're reliving it as you're speaking it so oh, yeah. I don't know but I, honestly when you speak I you sound so strong and so inspirational and, you know, I'm so proud of you for actually sharing sharing your story and letting the world know what is going on, what is actually happening in our country, in the cities, in the villages, in the houses, you know, because we're still, Somali community is still in that mentality of what happens behind closed doors, no one talks about it.
2: Yeah. Right? But I've had a lot of Somali brothers and sisters Tell me that the, uh, the subject of violence against women Is taboo Like it doesn't exist in Somalia We don't harm our women We don't right. But yes you do Except every other country has number It has a recorded number of how many deaths How many how many But right. Somalia it does, There's no number They're buried God bless them yeah. yeah, we don't have recorded numbers of deaths or due to FGM, we don't have reported number of uh, uh, domestic violence or rape against women or, or, or even any type of gender based violence, there's no record unless, you know the ones who are either from Europe or America who are taken there and they die or they pass away, then it's reported, then it's yeah. heard about.
1: I found I found a statement from UNICEF which apparently claims that there's an estimate of 40, 45.3% of girls in Somalia are married before turning 18 years old mm. and that forced marriage is, unco- is not uncommon and that young girls are often given away as brides without their consent. But of course, this, oh, yeah. this statistics, is, it's no, probably nowhere near touching 45%. I'm sure the number is way, a lot higher. way higher,
2: way higher, right,
1: right. I totally yeah. even they say
2: uh, I don't know which whose report it was, but they say over two no, ninety eight percent of Somali women uh, have gone through FGM procedure. Right? Yeah. And I think that's quite accurate, to be honest. Yeah. But uh, again, they have like um, uh, there's no recorded. Date. There's not one recorded death. I want to know how many die in Somalia. They estimated that over 2 million uh, women um, have had this
1: procedure but they don't
2: have the number of deaths.
1: Wow. Yeah, definitely there needs to be more, there needs to be numbers that we can look at but the thing is, it's, it's how would they do that with villages? You know, you need a system that actually works. You have to look at like so many things, and there's a lot of things that they, these people cannot even see. You mm. know? So, for example, there's no post mortem. How would they actually prove the cause of death? They can just Usually
2: say. Usually it's very um, plain. Either they, they don't use poison, they don't use things that right. need autopsy. Do you understand? Yeah. It's and mm-hmm. and even then, yeah. you know, yeah. a bunch of men come together, they talk, they come with a solution, and then they go to um, uh, whoever's uh, the victim of the parents, and then they say, This is the solution we've come up with. And the parents are forced to take those solutions, yeah. So, there's no justice for the children, market. If you're giving a rapist the opportunity to pay 78 camels or a hundred and something sheep in, in exchange for freedom, for a charge of rape, yeah, everyone is doing it. Because that's what's done. That's common. That is so common, again,
1: for a daughter. Right. So if I could just ask you. So in sharing your story, what's one thing that you would hope that you can advise the Somali community or that one thing that you wish a change can come from in telling your story and creating awareness?
2: Aniga, Aniga. the one thing I could ever wish for is some the Somali community to be fully aware and not turn a blind eye to the injustice that is happening in Somalia and in the uk and in america there are so many injustices that happen while and we don't we don't look at it we choose to turn a blind eye because it's not either within our family so i would like this fear of shame to just disappear for girls to know that they have no shame rights right. as a human as a woman. Right. and to follow the examples of many countries that now look at us like ina anakawala na hay, ina dotkan na na hay. You know, I want Somalia to get to a point where it's this uh, mutual understanding. Am I making sense? Even if women give women the exact same rights as you, uh, because that's going to take a very long time to convince Somalia we have the same, uh, we are equal. That's going to be very difficult. But I want violence against women to end. And any man that commits such crimes to be convicted and either put in jail, must say he should lose his life.
0: Yeah, Shamsa, I just wanted to ask you um, through the process of healing yourself, um, have you have you have you seeked the therapy?
2: Um, I have told my story to many health professionals, but they haven't really offered. Majority of them never offered me therapy those that did were very quick to remind me that it is a 6 months to a year waiting list. And I just thought in my head, there's no point uh, because obviously if a person needs help, they need it right then. Because I couldn't face talking to someone that couldn't understand my experiences.
0: Yeah,
2: Do you understand? There's not a lot of Somali therapists that I could comfortably just sit down and express exactly how I feel and they would understand the, the culture and Everything that comes with it, and they can advise you correctly, but I feel like I've always felt like sitting in front of a person that can never understand your experience is it can be very difficult, and they can advise you wrong in a wrong manner as well so it, i was i I've, 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 I'm personally cautious, but I would advise anybody that has gone through any type of trauma to speak to someone. My method was speaking to strangers.
0: So that's how you cope to it, speaking that's to strangers. How I,
2: coped with it. Yeah. I was a worker who moved from care home to care home. So I used to tell my colleagues, uh, I used to confide in them and tell them absolutely, like completely offload. And because I knew the next week I would never see them again. So, and I just kept doing that until I felt completely better. Alhamdulillah, like I felt like I wasn't holding anything back anymore yeah
1: Alhamdulillah.
2: so i think sometimes it's really important for someone to be able to talk just have a wallahi that's i think that's why you, what you mentioned uh, therapy is so important because it's another form of just offloading offloading right yeah so yeah. i think it's an excellent uh, suggestion to go to seek therapy
0: yeah i know it's, it's important to seek you know healing and just finding any way that works for you, you know. I would recommend obviously therapy if you can speak to someone one to one. If you don't feel comfortable with that, then speaking to strangers, speaking to um, colleagues, friends—it doesn't it matter. Helped. It's it's helped helped lot, it. Just have them open your mouth and talk about it. Don't just mm. close it all in, and you know it's all gonna explode at one time. So it's it's very important to go through that through that healing process. And as long as you know what you've gone through, what the problem is. And how you can heal yourself, it doesn't matter which way you do it, it's very important. So I find your story absolutely inspiring. Mejma?
1: Um, yeah, So, so I, I find the whole thing so inspiring, of course. Me and you have spoken and you've told me that you are studying uh, criminology, I think, and you want to become a detective. And it really hit me when you said that what is the point of talking to a therapist that is not gonna understand you because like we spoke on the phone earlier and you said to me that I want to become a detective because I want those girls that went through this, once I tell them and they know my stories out there, they will connect with me more. And I found that very, very touching and inspirational. You know, you're a a force in this world. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I believe thank thank you so much can benefit from hearing your story
2: can i just say quickly somalians love to say that they they love to use this Mahma and it's uh, it's basically and what it means is whatever you hide hides you and wallahi i couldn't have put it any better myself this is why it's so important for especially women who have faced a uh, violence uh, of any kind or um, you know a trauma of any kind to understand that what you hide if you hide your trauma and you don't speak wallahi it will end up hiding the real you so mali sometimes they don't have my mouth for no reason you know except that yes absolutely absolutely. Absolutely.
1: uh,
2: don't let your trauma hide you
0: yes yes don't let your trauma hide you I, i i love that absolutely Um, Yeah, Shamsa, thank you so much for joining us. I have to be honest, you know, at the beginning, I wasn't really sure um, about joining the interview because I wanted for you um, to have a safe space to speak with Najma, but I have to say that listening to your story, um, it makes me believe that a lot more men need to listen to this more because we have to take part of the healing process. This is the young generation now. We cannot be thinking the old ways now. We have to think about new ways we have to grow and learn and make sure that we make our, you know, I've got a little daughter. I would want her to have a safe future in, 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 in her life. So we have to make sure that we look after our women and at the same time just listen to people and make sure that you don't victim blame. If someone is going through something, listen to them, understand what they're going through. And yeah,
2: um I that have I to Yeah. I think that men, especially Somali men, need to take part and do more because, wallahi, we as women and men are part of the problem, but we are also the solution. Wallahi, if a man and a woman were to stand up, you guys, for instance, are an amazing example of... um, a, a, a great man and a woman mashallah to crea- uh, you know awareness and uh, creating awareness and educating people it's very important to Allah well, so clap 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 to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no,
1: thank you thank you that means a yeah. lot and you know what I just want to add to something that Al-Fatah was saying he said we have a little daughter and we want her to have a safe future but also if we, have a son, if we were to have a son we want him to create a safe future you know so it's about teaching yeah. our sons that it's the right way to treat and teaching our daughters the right way you know because what can technically the girls are a lot of the time helpless and powerless because they're not the ones that are causing problems in the world they're not the ones oh. that are creating the problems you know so it's up to us to educate our boys and men that, that the way to be you know so it's been an absolute pleasure having you and you are such an amazing incredible person i've got to know you you know we are friends now and sisters and inshallah. Thank you so much and I'm sure a lot a lot of people are going to benefit from this today.
2: I appreciate well, I, I still find it very hard to take compliments, but I really do appreciate your abaya and yes, you are my friend and my sister, yeah, and my beautiful little girl. Allah <laughs> and I'll make that for all of you and thank you for having me on here. It's been a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. Um, just before we leave how can people get in touch with you
2: to the associates my youtube channel is called Shamsa uh, Shamsa Um uh, my instagram is Shamsi, S-H-A-M-Z-E-E 2K inshallah uh, if any of you want to get a hold of me just simply ask Abaya and uh, Nejma and she'll hook you up absolutely, yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: thank you
2: Thank you so much.